glad you're with us at FBC. And I want to invite you now to grab a Bible and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus that we've been in for a few months now. And uh, for the past couple weeks, we've looked at the plagues that we find in chapter 7 through 11. And we've moved pretty quickly, just in a couple weeks, moved through that section. And we're going to slow down again as we uh, often do, and just walk kind of section by section now through the, uh, the rest, starting here in chapter 12. So go ahead and join me there, and you are going to need a hard copy. We're not going to have the words on the screen, okay? So we're going to make you do the heavy lifting, whether it's in a hard copy or on your phone or some device. Follow along with us in your copy of God's Word, however you can get there to Exodus chapter 12. <coughs> a few months ago, our foster son turned one. He had his first birthday, which was a lot of fun to celebrate. And we did what you always do at a birthday. We had a birthday party with friends and family. We all got together and we had cake and we had candles and we had singing and celebration. We did all the things you normally do. We sang happy birthday. And this was his first time going through a birthday party, right? He just turned one year old. And so I remember looking at him in his high chair as we're all up close gathered around him with a candle lit and we're singing and his eyes are huge. He's looking around like, what in the world is going on here? Like, what is this strange tribal ritual initiation that these people are putting me through? He was confused. For us, it was just normal, right? It's just that's one of our traditions, one of our rituals, something that we do. But for him, it was new and confusing. And it got me thinking about our traditions, right? We all have them. We have rituals in our families, in our daily lives, in our yearly calendar. They mark our seasons and our years. They remind us what we value. Think about it. We just came out of a season with Thanksgiving, with Christmas, right? We gather with family, we eat turkey, and the best part of the meal, stuffing with gravy, right? And we talk about things we're grateful for, and we watch football, and then a few weeks later, we, Christmas tree comes out, lights go up, we decorate the tree, we put lights outside of our house, we wrap presents, we drink eggnog, we do all kinds of strange things because it's that season. We have our traditions that help us remember why the season is so important. It's interesting because sometimes we think about tradition or ritual as something that uh, is in the past, something that ancient people did, right? And we're, we're modern folk, and so we don't get caught up in tradition and ritual as much. It's all very strange. But in actuality, we do. We, we have our own traditions that are meaningful to us. It's important to remember as we look in Exodus chapter 12, because often we'll look at the Bible and we'll see these feasts and these festivals and traditions and special meals with special meaning and detailed instructions on how things are to be observed, and it seems a little foreign to us. It seems a little strange. But again, it's helpful to remember we do the same thing still today. We're going to look at, though, one of the most significant traditions or, or, or rituals, special meals in the whole Bible, and that's the time of Passover. In Exodus 12, we see the institution of the first Passover. We see the events 
and the tradition that came out of it and why it's so important still for us today. Would you pray with me as we begin to jump into the text? Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of a Sunday where we could be together as a church, where we could sing to you, pray to you, and now look into your word. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us by your spirit. Open our eyes. Help us to see and understand and learn and grow. And would you convict us, challenge us, encourage us, comfort us, change us. Lord, do your work in us through your word. Amen. Well, briefly, remember where we've been, right? We're walking through the book of Exodus. God in Exodus has promised to rescue his people who are in slavery in Egypt, living bitter, harsh lives under the rule of Pharaoh. God has said, I will rescue you and lead you out of Egypt. But so far, Pharaoh hasn't listened. And actually, God, through Moses and Aaron has said to Pharaoh several times, let my people go, and Pharaoh continues to refuse, even after plague after plague fall on the land of Egypt, destruction, uh, humiliation for Pharaoh, for the people of Egypt, for the gods of Egypt, but Pharaoh still won't give in. And so as the tension is building in the narrative, we see inserted here some specific instructions about a special meal. Okay, look at it in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. Then, verse 11, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Some interesting instructions. All right, the first few verses of the chapter, we see instructions on selecting a lamb that is to be slaughtered. Then in verse 6 and 7, it says, slaughter the lamb, take the blood, put it on the door frames of your home. We'll get to that in a moment. Then roast the lamb and eat it. And actually, different elements of this meal had symbolic meaning. So eat the lamb with what? Bitter herbs, it says. Probably lettuce, horseradish, representing their bitter life of slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. Then eat bread without yeast. Anyone eating bread without yeast? Does it taste very good? No, it doesn't. It's not fluffy and doughy and beautiful like bread normally is, but they would eat it this way because they were about to leave Egypt quickly, and so they didn't have time to have 
the uh, leaven and the yeast work its way through the dough. That way the bread would taste good and normal. And so it was flat and hard, almost like a, a cracker. So eat bread without yeast. And I would remind you of the quick departure from Egypt that was going to take place. And then it also says, eat in verse 11, look, eat this meal with your cloak tucked in and your sandals on and staff into your hand. So in other words, like basically you're standing up and you're ready to move, ready to run. Like if you tuck your cloak into your belt in the ancient world, that means you're about to run, you're about to do something active. You're not like lounging on your couch, eating lasagna, watching Netflix. Okay, this is like you're about to go somewhere. So have your staff in your hand, sandals on your feet, ready to go. So interesting symbolic meaning with each of these elements of the meal, but maybe we're still wondering, What's the deal with the blood? Like killing the animal, okay, you're going to eat the lamb, but then the, the blood out on the doorpost and outside, what's, what's that all about? Look at verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So here's the final plague. It was talked about in verse, excuse me, chapter 11. Now it's returned to here in chapter 12. This final plague, the most severe plague, the death of the firstborn in each home. However, for the Hebrews, those who would place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home They would be passed over. They would be spared. They would be safe, rescued from this plague. So God gives this command to Moses and Aaron what the people are to do, and then Moses and Aaron take the word of God to the people. Okay, look at verse 21. It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, again, he's relaying the message, Go at once, select the animals for your families, slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. So these are the events of the first Passover. This is where this tradition of Passover came from, and it immediately raises some significant questions for us today. Because as we look at Passover, we see two things quite clearly. We see judgment. We see the judgment of God. But we also see mercy. We see the mercy of God. But it's the first of those two, the judgment peace that is most difficult for us today. The judgment of God is where we get hung up. I mean, God striking down the firstborn in each Egyptian home. I mean, can we admit how, how jarring that is? Can we admit how difficult that might be for us to wrap our heads around, especially for, for modern people? That offends us, our modern sensibilities. And so I don't I don't want to take this lightly or, or assume that uh, this doesn't raise questions for us. It, it does, and that's understandable. We have to take some time to, to think through this. How do we make sense of the judgment of God in light of everything else we know about God, his mercy, his love? 
How do we make sense of texts like this? First, let's consider a few things. First, uh, this is a picture of Judgment Day and Judgment Day coming early here in Egypt. Okay, the Old Testament and the New Testament points forward to a day of the Lord, points forward to a time where God will hold sin and sinners accountable, where God will condemn and judge evil and evil doers. We see in the scriptures that sin, rebellion against God brings about death, brings consequences before a holy and righteous God. And so what we see here is that judgment day to come basically happening in advance for the land of Egypt. On this one night, judgment falling upon the households. And on the firstborn, that was a symbolic meaning, right? The firstborn was the one who represented the family most, the most uh, the hopes of the family, the, the future of the family was placed on the firstborn. So God's bringing judgment upon the households of Egypt. And that's hard for us to think about. Judgment here in Exodus 12, judgment, condemnation, hell in a, in a general sense is difficult. Many uh, people will look at that truth and say, I'm out. Like, because of that, I don't know if I can follow Jesus, I don't know if I can take the Bible seriously today. Most famously, actually, Aaron Rodgers. You guys know Aaron Rodgers? 49ers just beat down the Packers. But, but recently, Aaron grew up in a Christian home, and there's been some articles coming out about his kind of crisis of faith and how he's uh, wrestled with this particular issue, hell, judgment, condemnation, and says, I don't think I can believe in God like that. So this is a very real concern, very real concern for many people. A couple things whenever this topic comes up I think we have to understand. And the first is that there's really no way around it in Scripture. As much as we maybe would want to avoid it or ignore it or pretend that it's not really there or not really talked about very often, it's, we can't get around it. It's there. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the Psalms. We see it uh, in the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. We see it in the New Testament letters. Uh, judgment, condemnation, sin, it's, it's, it's real. There are consequences for it. And so the gospel and the message of the Bible doesn't make sense if we just remove that piece. We say, you know what? Judgment isn't real. Condemnation isn't real. Sin isn't really that big of a deal. God's really not that mad about sin. It really doesn't bother him that much. If we remove all of that, then, then the good news of the gospel doesn't really make sense. The, the death of Christ doesn't make sense, would seem unnecessary. If it's, hey, it's not a big deal, and God loves you, and don't worry about anything we say. We lose the heart of the gospel. It, it doesn't make sense. So there's no way around it. The second thing I would say is that the message of God's judgment is good news. It's good news. Sometimes we will say, a God of love wouldn't condemn. A God of love wouldn't judge. But I would argue that that's not true. Think about it. When you love someone and that person or thing is damaged, harmed, attacked, abused, taken advantage of, if you love that person, what's your response? Is it indifference? Is it no big deal? Is it I'm unfazed? Is it I'm not really going to worry about that? No, it's deep 
pain, frustration, anger, desire for justice, right? If you love them. So lack of judgment, a, a God that doesn't care about justice or, or dealing with sin in the world, I would argue is not really a God of love. It wouldn't it be loving for us to turn a blind eye to sin, to look at those who've been victimized or abused or hurt in our lives, the people that we love, if they've been through that, we, we long for justice. We long for God to do something about that, for God to hold sin and sinners accountable, for God to hold evil and evildoers accountable. So this is good news. And friends, I would argue that if we look uh, in the history of the world, we are in the minority here in terms of having a problem with this. Okay, for modern Western people, this is a big stumbling block. In the history of the world, I don't believe it has been that way. Maybe difficult for people to wrap their heads around somewhat, but in different cultures throughout history, and even today, many people will say, yeah, we, we long for justice. We long for God to make things right. In fact, that's a great comfort. That You know what? We don't have to take things into our own hands. We don't have to get violent. We don't have to meet evil with evil because we can trust. You know what? God's going to sort this out one day. God is the judge of all the earth. He will do what is right, and we can trust in him. And so I'd argue that the judgment of God, as, as difficult as it might be for us to wrap our heads around, is good news. We also see, though, in the Passover, not just judgment, not just condemnation. We see mercy, don't we? We see mercy. We see a, a way of salvation, the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of a home. And the principle of substitution is clear. Tim Keller put it this way, and it's a rather grim reality, but he says, in that night, on that night in Egypt, in every home, there was either a dead son or a dead lamb. Either your sons, the household will face judgment, or this lamb will die, and you will be protected, and you will be spared. There will be mercy for you and your household. There's a way of salvation, a way of mercy that God provides, but only one way, right? One option, the blood of a lamb on the home. That's the way. It's really interesting because in the Hebrews, the people of God couldn't walk around that night and say, you know what? God's judgment is coming. That's for you people. It's not for us. We're the people of God. That's for the Egyptians, but we're safe. We're secure. We don't have to worry. They say, no, you in danger too. You have to put the blood on your doorpost. Or you're in danger as well. The text says in verse 22, look at it. Don't, don't go outside that night. <laughs> don't go for your evening stroll. Don't take your dog for a walk that night. It won't be safe. Don't think I'm a Hebrew or you know what? God is really loving and kind. God is our God. He, he would not really, he wouldn't really do this. I mean, I know he said he's going to judge, but he wouldn't really do that. He wouldn't really judge. He wouldn't really condemn. This wouldn't really fall on the land of Egypt. So don't, don't worry about the whole lamb thing. It's rather unnecessary. God wouldn't do something like this. He said, no. Moses tells the people, hey, put the blood on your door. Make sure to do it. And friends, this event is so significant. I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. This event is so significant. This first Passover that it multiple times is mentioned that it's to be remembered. It's to be 
celebrated by the people, this act of, of deliverance. It's really seen for the people in the Old Testament as the defining moment of their identity as the people of God, the defining moment of redemption for them. And you see that in the text. Look at it. Uh, in verse 1, we see, hey, this is to be like, the first month of your year. Like, your calendar is going to start now. That's how momentous this event was. And then look at verse 14. Really clearly, this is the day you're to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day. Do not work at all on those days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all you may do. And then verse 17, we, we see a lot of talk about yeast here, okay? God is very frustrated with yeast, we're going to see, okay? Very, doesn't like yeast at all. And we're going to see uh, connected to Passover is this feast of unleavened bread, bread without yeast, okay? Look how it continues. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Again, God is anti-yeast. He's very serious about it. But notice there's a purpose for this, right? The unleavened bread, as we spoke of, along with the bitter herbs, along with the lamb, this Passover meal was to remind the people of something important. It was to remind them of their departure from Egypt. They left quickly. They were about to leave quickly. And so as they ate the unleavened bread, it would remind them of that year after year, generation after generation. Look at similar instructions, okay, in verse 24. Obey these instructions as what? A lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped, and the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So what do you see repeated? A lasting ordinance. Observe this ceremony. Obey these commands. Even teach your kids about this. They're going to ask about, what, where's the good bread, the fluffy bread, the doughy bread? Why aren't we eating that this week? Why are we eating bitter herbs? I don't like vegetables. Get it out of here. Why are we eating the lamb? And you, you're, when they ask that, tell them. Here's why. Here's what this meal is about. Here's what this means for our people, what our God has done for us. These verses remind us that we're a forgetful people, aren't we? Still today. I mean, can you remember what you had to eat two nights ago for dinner? We, we forget. That's why even today it's important for us to have these rhythms, these rituals, these traditions daily, spending time with the Lord, weekly gathering for worship and looking to the Word, monthly, yearly, having these things that remind us of what is true because we forget. And, and God knows this. And that's why he says this to the people. Hey, you're going out of Egypt, okay? We are leaving Egypt. You're going to the promised land. 
You're going to worship me freely. Things are going to be good. But when you get there, I don't want you to forget where you came from. I don't want you to forget what I've done for you, how I've rescued you and saved you and been good to you. So remember. And he uses this feast, this tradition as a way to do that. So like we talked about to start this morning, we all have our traditions and rituals, right? We sing happy birthday, we celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth of July. You could look to the Old Testament and say, you know what, tradition is so important, why aren't we doing what God told us to do here in Exodus? God said, eat the Passover meal as a celebration for generations to come. Eat the lamb and the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread. Why? Why aren't we doing that? I mean, do we take the Bible seriously or not? If we take the Bible seriously, it tells us to do it, so we should do it, right? Why aren't we celebrating Passover? Well, I would say we are celebrating Passover, actually. We do celebrate Passover as a church family quite regularly. This looks a little different today. And in order to understand that change, we have to look to the New Testament. We have to look at the life of Jesus. We can look to the end of his life when he shares that last meal with his disciples. If you look to Mark 14, Mark 14, it's right before Jesus' death. Uh, the text tells us in verse 1 of chapter 14, it's the time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so this tradition, this ritual that we've been reading about from Exodus 12 is still being practiced, remembered, celebrated, here in the first century, in the life of Jesus, in his time. And it's at this time of the year, with Passover, Jesus will do something that changes how we understand Passover. Okay, he's going to take this celebration, ordained by God, and he's going to infuse it with actually new meaning. Look what he says in verse 22. These are verses that many of us are familiar with. Verse 22 of chapter 14 in Mark. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So as was customary, someone would stand up at the Passover meal, typically the father and the family, and would explain the tradition, would explain what the elements of the meal meant, especially as the children ask, hey, what's this all about? And so Jesus stands up at the meal to speak. Maybe we're expecting him to do just that. Talk about Exodus and the Passover lamb back in Exodus chapter 12, but he doesn't do that. Instead, what does he do? He takes bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body given for you. And then he takes the cup and says, this cup is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. Okay, so do you see what he's doing? Jesus is taking the two foundational elements of the Passover meal. The bread, right? Feast of unleavened bread. No leaven, no yeast. God's anti-yeast, right? Feast of Unleavened Bread, he takes the bread and he redefines it. 
says, no longer is the bread going to point you back to Exodus 12 and point you back to redemption in Egypt. As important as that was, we can remember that and celebrate that, but now, in an even greater way, the bread of this festival points to me, my body, broken for you. And then he takes the other key element of the Passover meal, the blood that the Hebrews, that the people of Israel would remember, blood on the doorpost, central to the Passover celebration. Is the blood no longer pointing back to the blood on the doorpost, protecting the homes in Exodus chapter 12. Now, this is my blood poured out for many. This is the blood of the new covenant. He's redefining the Passover meal, saying something even greater is here. A greater Passover, a new Passover is now being celebrated in me, in my life and death and resurrection. Do you see the connection? And this isn't like, hear me, this, this isn't like crazy Bible guy connection. Like guy in his basement on YouTube with like smoke filling the room, like looking at all these Bible numbers and like, look at these crazy connections. There's 12 disciples. And did you know there's 12 teams in the Pac-12 football conference? So the Pac-12 is God's favorite football team. How did you not see that connection? Look at it. It's right there. This isn't crazy Bible guy on YouTube. This is like really on the surface, the bread and the blood of Passover, the bread and the blood, the Last Supper, Jesus clearly saying, that's what this is all about. Which naturally leads to a question. Who in the world does Jesus think he is? <laughs> think about that. Think about that. Jesus, at the time of Passover, with his disciples, who, who has the authority to take this sacred meal, this sacred meal, ordained by God, remembered for generations. I mean, the defining moment in history for the people, the defining moment of their redemption. Exodus chapter 12, Jesus takes it and redefines it. It says, actually, this was just preparing you for me. As important as that was, that was just a precursor to me and what I'm doing. Can you imagine? Who does Jesus think he is? Who would have the authority to do this? Imagine someone comes to Thanksgiving this year at your house. Says, hey, the first Thanksgiving, that was great. Turkey, stuffing, pilgrims, America, great. You know, glad, glad we're doing this whole celebration. Okay, but really, what Thanksgiving is all about is me and my life and what I've come to do. You'd say, excuse me, get out and leave the stuffing, okay? Get out of here. Or someone go to 4th of July and say, the fireworks and the celebration, isn't it great? And that, that first Independence Day, wasn't it special for our nation? But what that really was pointing you to, an even greater freedom for our land has come through me. Say, what? Who in the world do you think you are? And so for the Jews, only God himself could make such a change. Only God himself could say something this drastic. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says an even greater redemption has come. The people were rescued from slavery and bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, through me, you could be rescued from slavery and bondage to sin and death. The blood of a lamb protected you from that, that one night of judgment in the land of Egypt, but now, 
my blood will protect all who believe in me and trust in me from judgment to come and can provide eternal life. So the gospel tells us a new Passover is here. John chapter one, John looks at Jesus and says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus died. Broken body, shed blood for you and for me that we might be forgiven of our sins, redeemed from death, restored, reconciled to relationship with God the Father who loves us, who loves us. So the question then is, will we trust in Jesus and have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of our home, of our heart, through faith? So friends, why don't we celebrate Passover? Well, again, we do. We do every time we celebrate communion as a church family. As we come to the table, we take what? The elements, the, the bread and the cup representing Jesus' broken body and his shed blood for us. We do what Jesus told us to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So this is what Exodus 12 really was pointing you forward to. This is what the message of the gospel is, is really all about. My work, my life, and my resurrection, and this new life that you now have in me. And so friends, we're about to come to the table and celebrate this greater Passover in Christ and take the elements. Uh, the music's going to play. The elements are gluten-free, so no need to worry there. We'll have two stations up here. and just invite you to come as you are ready. And we practice an open table here at FBC, which simply means uh, even if, if you're visiting, if you have another home church, if you are from out of town, we still invite you to participate with us. Uh, if you've put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward and celebrate Jesus with us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we look to you now and we remember you as you told us to, to take these elements the bread and the cup, and remember, uh, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, that we might be forgiven, redeemed, rescued from sin and death. We take hold of this, Lord, not through our own works, not through our own merit, but by grace, through faith. So thank you. Jesus, you are our Savior. You are our King. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with joy as we remember that we've been forgiven and as we remember that we now have new life in you, now and forever, to live in your kingdom. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.